Hello, and you're very welcome to episode five of The Week That Really Was with me, John McGurk, and as always, David Quinn. This week, in addition to the two of us, you get a bonus because we are joined uh, from Dáil Éireann, or from Shannon Éireann, I should say, by Senator Sharon Kilgan. Uh, Sharon, you're very welcome to the show. I'm going to come to you in a minute, but before I do that, um, what we're going to be talking about this week, we're going to run through um, a pretty dark week, I think, for the Irish Catholic Church. We've had uh, more revelations again about sexual abuse, this time in some of Dublin's elite private schools, um, and there's been reaction to that. Some of that reaction has been uh, very understandable. Some of it, um, I think, has been, and we'll come to a particular column that we've written, a little bit over the top. And... This week, also, we're going to talk about, about something that Sharon has a huge interest in, which is the surrogacy bill. So that'll be coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, Sharon, if I if I might, um, I want to talk to you about your reaction, because I know you have a huge interest in child protection and, and that area, um, to the very dispiriting allegations that have emerged uh, in the last week or so from BlackRock College and other serious schools. Yeah, schools. It, I suppose it is very distressing uh, uh, from uh, a Christian point of view um for all of those that are um catholics and and all of those that just believe in human decency in in life um particularly you know where young boys were sent to boarding school by their parents and into the hands of what they thought were going to be people that would uh, educate them and protect them and uh it's it, it's been a very very dark week and uh but i i do believe that this is just the start of um, people coming out to telling telling their stories. I don't believe it is exclusively um, the church uh, in which this um, uh, awful acts um, against children um, take take place. And uh, I mean, even um, St John's ambulance, they were they were talking about that today as well. So there's there's many many aspects of life of which um, child protection wasn't what it should have been, and. Uh, uh, I'm glad that the Spiritans have set up um, a restorative justice programme um, to uh, engage with the survivors um, of the historical abuse um, I, at the schools. I was talking to David about this during the week, and a point I made, um, which I think is a kind of an obvious point, but I think it bears restating, is that these abuse scandals all have one thing in common. And obviously in Ireland, it's primarily the church, but they all take place in environments where People who are so inclined can gain access to children and hopefully children who are who are more vulnerable than usual. Uh, and so that's why you have it in, you often have cases of child sex abuse. We had one involving a swimming coach here in Ireland, for example, sports coaches around the world, um, you know, in, in, in orphanages sometimes. Uh, how do you think as a legislator, Sharon, we can improve and enhance the protection and the, the barriers that go up to preventing people with predatory instincts from getting near children because it seems to me that's the biggest problem it's 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 very hard i mean to i mean when you have an organization and mainly most of these organizations uh, well in schools is totally different but you know if you're in in the community organizations like the gaa or soccer teams or the girl guides or the scouts most of the people that are involved in those organizations are volunteers now there is guard the clearance that has to be got when you are working with children but there has to be different. There has to be a, a stronger mechanism to know what somebody's background is. I, I almost think it's it's nearly too easy to have ac access to children in this country, um, and to have that trusted access. The parents do they trust their 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 children with individuals that are volunteers with the community groups uh, around around the country, and maybe people need to just you know be very careful who 
they uh, allow their children uh, to be in the care of. Um, but it is it is very hard to legislate. It, it, you know, you it it really is really hard to legislate who that sexual predator is amongst uh, uh, um, amongst groups and um, whether it be the church or whether it be volunteer groups. It's very hard to find those those people until they actually do commit a crime. I was talking during the week, um, David, to somebody uh, close to somebody who is a Catholic priest, who was expressing to me frustration that, in his view, the church had obviously closed the stable door after the horse had bolted and so on. But he felt in some ways, actually, that the church had gone so far in the other extreme now that it's act actively unfair to priests. So this person was making the point to me that a priest these days, if there is as much as a whisper of an allegation of any kind of impropriety, is immediately removed from the parish, removed from service, sent away, okay. presumed guilty until innocent. And in many, in, he was telling me of two or three cases of people who were falsely and maliciously accused by somebody of not even nothing to do with children who were having their lives and their reputations as he felt it ruined. Um, but in some ways, isn't that better than the alternative? Well, you've always got to maintain the presumption of innocence. Now, you know, when a priest gets accused, given what was happening in the past, um, it's completely understandable that the parish or the religious order would move him aside pending an investigation. Um, but there have been cases where there have been false accusations and unmistaken ones. And it was a very famous one a number of years ago, if you remember, a former nun called Nora Wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was imprisoned for rape, um, along with a guy who's now dead called Pablo McCabe. And uh, um, it was discovered that the allegation was false um, and she was uh, um, released and it took years to clear her name. It was a priest, uh, I think he's dead now, Father John Wall, accused, cleared eventually, but after a really traumatic experience. And there's been a couple of other examples like that. So you've always got to maintain the presumption of innocence because that is what everybody listening to this show and anybody else in the country would want. Um, the church has something in place called, and it has for a good number of years now, the National Board for Safeguarding Children. Um, the person in charge of it until a few years ago was a guy called Ian Elliott. Ian Elliott is Presbyterian, so not Catholic. He's from the North, very tough-minded, one of the leading experts in child protection in the country. Nobody gainsays his reputation. He was the one who headed up a review of child protection issues in Scouting Ireland quite recently, and he was put in charge because he's so good. Anyway, he headed up the church's response, this National Board for Safeguarding Children, for a good number of years. They have audited every diocese in the country for child protection and the failings and the number of allegations made against priests um, and also the religious orders. So one was produced, uh, one of these reports, um, and you can find it up on the website of the National Board for Safeguarding Children about the Spiritans who used to be called the Holy Ghost Fathers. So there it is from 10 years ago. And at that time, 48 priests had been accused of abuse at some point, um, mainly starting in the 60s and through the 70s and 80s. That seemed to be the peak period. Um, that's the constant pattern, by the way, uh, across the world, whatever diocese you look at, whatever, whatever order you look at, particularly from around the mid 70s into the 80s, that was the peak period. I don't know why, it just was. But <clears throat> what's in the news about the Spiritans, and I saw something about the Vincentians, I'm Vincentian and educated, I went to St. Paul's College in Rohini. Um, um, it's all, sorry, not all of it. Most of it is in the audits, um, because obviously more people have, have come forward in the meantime. 
Uh, the Vincentians were ordered eight years ago, as I say, the Spiritans 10 years ago, the Jesuits about seven or eight years ago. Um, and they had all the allegations they had up to that point um, um, collated in these reports. Um, and obviously more people are come forward in the meantime. But it's not as if this is uh, completely unexpected, completely new. All of these schools, uh, in fact, they come under the Department of Education as far as child protection goes, but the religious orders and the diocese and the parishes have absolutely excellent child protection procedures in place. There are thousands of volunteers in the parishes around the country who are all trained in child protection procedures. Um, obviously, orders and dioceses have full-time child protection people. All this is needed. And it came dropping slow from the church and painfully from the church, but it has now um, really got us child protection and kind of victim response act together. To say it came very, very hard, but it's there. Um, and, you know, BlackRock would have excellent child protection proceedings, Willow Park next door, Belvedere, all these places. Um, if there is to be a public inquiry, and I, I echo here what Maeve Lewis of One and Four said on Morning Ireland uh, a few days ago, it has to go wider than the Spiritans. It has to go wider than the religious-run schools. Um, she mentioned the likes of Swim Ireland, and she mentioned the Scouts, uh, and she mentioned other organisations. I can't remember which ones they were. But you can't have a narrow inquiry when you have all these other scandals involving other organizations and other schools also involved. So I would echo what Maeve Lewis of One and Four said. Karen, what's your view on this? Is there any move in the Oireachtas towards a public inquiry or um, would you well, support, be supportive of them? Because we've had it. I mean, I, 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 just for the record, I'm not, for listeners, I, I am appalled by, by this stuff. I, it definitely it shook my faith in the church and, and my faith has yet to be restored. But at the same time, I am wary and wary, Sharon. We've had the Ferns report. We had reports in the Dublin Diocese. Is it time for another broader one looking at organisations beyond the church as well, do you think? Well, look, at the, the, this, this uh, country is very poor at, at uh, having public inquiries into into uh, most things. It took us a long time to even uh, look into what's happening in the mother and baby homes. So I, I don't see why it shouldn't happen, particularly if it's going to be as as broad uh, as David uh, has suggested. So maybe it's something that I would call for. Um, um, I, I've been calling for inquiries into a number of issues, um, whether it be um, the COVID inquiry or whether it be the Tavistock inquiry. I've been uh, the children that attended Tavistock. So, yes, it is something that there could be a national inquiry into in relation to, to all, all child protection issues in, into organisations. Uh, and I'm sure that, uh, as as David said, there'll be a lot of um, there'll be a lot of things that will come out um, in, in with regard to other organisations outside of the church. Yeah, this is a country with a lot of secrets, I think, still to come out, and not not only as David says in the church, but uh, one person this week who sort of almost preempted um, the outcome of any public inquiry uh, I, I, I was uh, Fergus Finlay, the former government advisor advisor to to. Um, spring when he was punished, uh, head of Barnardo's, which is an organization, by the way, which itself has had uh, child abuse scandals in the past at various times. Um, he said, as a result of all this, that the religious orders should be denied political representation, denied access to the courts, taxed out the gills, um, not allowed to speak in public, basically. Uh, David, you thought he went a bit far, I gather. He went, he went incredibly far, way too far. I've never seen a column like it in any country. Uh, in a mainstream newspaper. Um, he, he said he basically wants the 150 religious orders in the country shut down. That's the word he, that's the term he used. Um, 
almost no almost no countries in history have done this. I mean, the ones that have done it would be revolutionary France. Uh, in this part of the world, obviously, Henry VIII suppressed the monasteries. Um, Cromwell, when he got here, did the same thing. Um, now is China, North Korea today, um, the Soviet Union under Stalin, starting under Lenin. All right. I mean, China today, by the way, allows religious orders to operate to a limited extent. So recording here, or rather, Fergus Finlay is calling on Ireland to go further than modern communist China. It's incredible because completely unconstitutional. But what he did was he said the religious orders, basically all they're about is corruption and scandal. Uh, to this day, around the world, there's 5,000 hospitals being run by Catholic organizations, frequently religious orders and frequently by nuns. There's 16,000 health clinics. They're mainly in developing countries. Um, so I presume if that's all the religious orders are about is corruption and scandal, all of these places should also be closed down, leaving the most massive hole in those countries because there's no state in those countries that's capable of, of, of filling that gap. All right. Um, there's priests and nuns and brothers around the world do absolutely amazing work. I met a nun last week. She's well into her 70s. She had just come back from Nigeria. She spent most of her life in Africa, most of her adult life. She's a nurse by training. And uh, a priest in the area had been kidnapped. A couple of priests in recent times have been killed. This is by jihadists. Um, she's worked in Somalia during famine. Um, uh, there's nuns who are officially retired from Ireland out in the likes of South Sudan, one of the most isolated, dangerous places in the world, training future generations of nurses and teachers. And you can multiply out these examples. I was being told about a nun, Irish nun, in her 80s, in the slums of Nairobi, helping to keep young fellas out of crime and out of prison. I'm not worthy to untie her sandals. And to reduce all of this work to simply the scandals and call for the suppression of all of the religious orders is, to my mind, appalling. I thought the... I thought roughly the same thing and i thought i thought i mean when i read stuff like that you know it's time to silence the end lock them up do away with any judiciary uh, any right even of judicial appeal i mean the, the oliver cromwell not thomas sorry thomas cromwell not oliver was mm. the was the one who came to mind there it, it was literally just use the power of the state to break your perceived enemies and what strikes me about this is that it's not He's not asking them, he's not calling for that on the basis of anything the church is doing today. It is entirely punitive. It is entirely take away people's human rights and liberties as punishment. And I mean, Fergus, I presume, thinks he's a liberal and a progressive, but I was I was astonished by it. And I was further astonished that it got through uh, an editorial process in a national newspaper. Um, and I think perhaps in a few years, Fergus will be a little bit embarrassed about that. But I it, it, it brings me on to... Um, something that I, I wanted to talk about. We have Sharon with us, and I want to talk a lot about what goes on in the Shannon and the Oireachtas and, and the halls of politics. It brought back, uh, Sharon, to an episode a few months ago where you were in in a doll committee. I think, actually, it was you were talking about surrogacy. Um, and uh, I, I've never seen an episode in the Oireachtas like it where uh, Lynn Ruan, I think, was the ringleader of it, but there were several uh, of your colleagues in the Shannon who were literally shouting you down in the middle of a committee. And the, the chairperson of the committee, who was supposed to be an independent person, 
seem to join in the gang. I haven't, I, I, and I have to say, I don't want, I'm not putting words in your mouth, and I, you, you may say something different, but I have never seen such an overt and awful display of bullying in the national legislators I saw that day. And I wonder, do you think I'm right about that? Or uh, is, is that a common experience for you? Or was that just a particularly bad day? Or at least hostility, if not bullying. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm not too sure now whether I, I'll comment on on, on that particular um, person, but certainly, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a difficult place to be if you've got um, an alternative view um, to what they have. If you don't have the correct point of view, it can be a, a difficult place to be. Um, you know, I, that particular committee, I was the only person on it uh, critical of surrogacy. Um, had I not put forward um, myself forward that committee, there would be absolutely no dissenting or minority voice on that committee. Um, none of, of the witnesses um, who might have added, uh, had criticisms of surrogacy as a practice, um, they were actively blocked or refused um, my suggestions to bring those possible witnesses forward. And they may have had a, a uh, be able to tell another side of the story, but th they weren't actually interested in hearing that side of the story at all. Um, so, you know, it was, a, the committee was really a, a fait accompli. Um, it, it, it was done before it even started. You could have written the report at the very, very beginning rather than wasting 12 weeks. Um, yeah, so, but, um, you know, it, it, I suppose, you know, if you haven't got that, if you don't think the way they think, um, and you are prepared to stand up and offer that alternative view, they certainly don't like it. And they even hate it more when you're a woman. So, um, yeah, it, it, it can be at times quite difficult to be here uh, you, in these houses. How do you think the consensus view gets formed? Because one of the things that you, you said there, which I, I completely agree with, is that you know there's a correct view. And there's a correct view, I think, in the Iraqis on almost every issue. But it seems to appear almost overnight where all of our representatives, with the exception of a small number of you, both in the Dáil and the Shannon, um, suddenly appear with the with the same view. I mean, there isn't a paper between any of our political parties on the issue of surrogacy, for example, or on basically any social issue, oftentimes on crime and justice. I mean, I, I don't think there's a single party in the Dáil or the, or the Shannon that wants to look at sentencing in the context of crime, for example. There's a, there's a, there's a uniview. Do you have any sense how that gets formed? Are there NGOs in there every day of the week briefing these people, for example? Is it the media? Where, where, where does this consensus come from? I think I think the NGO sector in this country has uh, massive powers within these houses, um, and they have free access to to ministers um, more so probably than the the elected TDs for their um, their constituencies. So they have um, massive power uh, in in government here. Um, I suppose you know when it comes to social issues, they they. The role of the Oireachtas Committee is probably th that of a, a, a citizens' assembly. Um, but what actually they do is they here when it comes to the Oireachtas Committee, they usually pack it with their own uh, similar or same type re right viewpoints. Um, so the the construction, the the discussions are they get the out uh, right outcome for them. So that's basically you know. So Oireachtas committees um, are set up to make sure that it goes in the right way. Um, and there is, you know, if there's any dissension um, from anybody, um, you know, they do they do not like it. They certainly do not like it, and you do become a target. Well, I've been involved in two in my life, 
Um, one was in the aftermath of the Lisbon Treaty referendum in 2008, and the other one was, well, I wasn't directly involved, but I was very uh, keeping tracks of the process in the repeal committee in, before the referendum in 2018. And on both occasions, again, this is just my personal opinion, just like my comments on Lin Wan, if you meant to were my personal opinion. Um, both of them, to me, they were a fait accompli. I mean, the, it was a show trial. Uh, definitely the Lisbon Treaty one was a show trial. And I, my view on the abortion one was that the outcome had been decided long before a single witness was held. And I think that's true of surrogacy as well. So how do you combat that, uh, Sharon? Because your clips go viral on the internet all the time because you do stand up in the chamber and say things that nobody else will. Um, but that's, I mean, there's internally, there's 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 no real procedural way to fix this, is there, without more people like you in the channel? I think you know, uh, as you said yourself, a lot of the political parties are very—they're very bland now. They really can blend into each other. I mean, there is absolutely no difference between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and Sinn Féin at this moment in time. There's no difference on the social issues, anyway, for sure. They all have the—they're all on the same sort of liberal agenda. Um, uh, They—they—I don't see any difference in those political parties at all. Um, and it takes, you know, when it comes to standing up on issues, it doesn't make any difference whether you're talking about housing, you're talking about homelessness, you're talking about surrogacy, you're talking about uh, pro-life issues um, or, or crime. If you have an alternative view or you want to challenge mental, even mental health, uh, if, if you want to challenge the minister on any, any aspect of, of the work they're doing, they do not like it. They do not like to be challenged and told they're doing something wrong. I mean, we, we're going to have um, a serious um, debate. I I'm certainly hope there's going to be serious debate uh, around the surrogacy laws that, that, that are uh, due to pass here. And I mean, it's prohibited in, in many uh, of our European countries. Um, but it's not, you know, it, 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 I, I, I cannot understand how they would even consider it in this country um, when so many other countries have said no, um, we're not allowing uh, surrogacy uh, into our legislation. Yeah, commercial surrogacy, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then when it comes to free speech, I mean, I, I certainly hope the people of Ireland are going to um, to uh, to sit up and l listen to what's been happening, to what legislation is going to be passed in relation to the hate speech laws and the, the free speech laws that are coming coming down the line, and to get in contact with their TDs and get in contact with their with their um, senators and say, look, at this is how we feel. Um, but unless people actually do something about it. Nothing is going to nothing's nothing's going to change. It'll still be the likes of Sharon Keoghan standing up, or the likes of um, uh, Cara mm -hmm. Nolan, or yeah. um, Michael Collins, or Matty McGrath, or any of the independents that are in 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 the in the doll standing up and talking about this. There are only a core group of independents uh, there that are willing to stand up and have the courage to stand up, which is an awful shame that we don't have that within uh, uh, individual political parties. And I think they do lack they lack courage. Um, I think a lot of the electorate, there's a there's a, a silent majority there that are supporting us. They may not they may not come online. You won't see them on Twitter. But I, I know that I, I've attended many uh, public functions around the country, and the amount of people that come up to me and say, Sharon, I really want to thank you for speaking out on various issues that I've spoke out, whether it be uh, on the on the COVID issue, whether it be on uh, you know the surrogacy issue. No matter what issue that I, I've spoken out of, that I may have uh, got a little bit of heat on, there are people out there that do actually support that point of view and quietly support it. 
What I find extraordinary, and I was saying to you both, I won't name the person on the show because it wouldn't be fair, but I, I was telling you both who it was before we started recording. I mean, I've had in, in recent months uh, a former, um, fairly well-known Fine Gael cabinet minister, former cabinet minister, tell me that he himself feels oppressed in the Oireachtas, that um, the, the, that there's there's this huge sense of there is a consensus and you shall not deviate from it. I mean, the number of, of times I get messages from people um, either inside the Oireachtas or outside the Oireachtas but involved in politics saying that they agree with some view that you've had, Sharon, or that I've written about, or maybe even that David's written on a column, but they, they don't feel like they can say it because they'd be lynched. And I, who is it that they're afraid of lynching them? It, it just strikes me there's this there's this tremendous crushing atmosphere of fear in the public conversation at the moment that yes. you you just have to say the right thing or you're out on your ear or say nothing uh, or say nothing um, yeah I, I think it didn't stella o'malley write an article i think i'm not too sure whether she written, wrote the article about uh, today uh, but i think i i read something online in which she said that there is fear among politicians about speaking out about issues and particularly very sensitive issues and, and of course you know Look, I mean, as a parent, uh, um, of course, you're very sensitive to to the many challenges that are, are facing our young people and our, our children today. But uh, you know, you are afraid to talk about the about certain issues. You you know, whether it be um, transgender, uh, gender identity issues, uh, whether it be um, the the hate speech, whether it be things even like calling for a COVID inquiry, you know, things like that. Oh gosh, or the vaccine, questioning the vaccine, questioning the efficacy of the vaccine, things that you would normally challenge. Uh, politicians would normally, and opposition would normally challenge, but there doesn't seem to be an, an, anybody there that's standing up and actually saying, "Well, look at, let's look at this." You know, is it necessary to be um, given vaccination to vaccinations to children? Um, you know, were, we were all told uh, that, you know, if we got the vaccine, it would stop the spread. And now we're told, you know, the efficacy uh, didn't stop the spread. So, you know, there does need to be uh, an inquiry into into how we handle COVID. Um, and they're doing it in the UK. I don't see why we shouldn't have it here. Um, I mean, we might learn something from Maybe it. We, we love might inquiries learn. usually. But it suits the agenda, we love inquiries. Sorry? I said, well, when it suits certain agendas, we love inquiries. Uh, otherwise, we don't like them. So, as you say, with COVID, um, there should be a public inquiry because it was the biggest thing to happen in the world in years. And and the decisions taken were so enormous, some of them admittedly under gigantic pressure. But we ought to look back and see what do we do right and what do we do wrong. But it's like no, no point going back and looking at any of that, like how long we kept schools closed for. But I must say, Sharon, I mean, when I was watching you, in the surrogacy committee. I mean, the way you were treated was so unbelievably appalling. And there you were with a particular point of view. It was so clear they didn't agree, but it wasn't just that they, that they disagreed with you. They didn't want you to express it at all, which is not, it's the opposite of how democratic debate is supposed to work. You're supposed to listen to other points of view, including points of view you don't like. I mean, at one point, if you remember, you had to leave the committee room because they were so annoyed at you and you were the bad guy so the bad girl so to speak um yeah, i was ordered to leave expressing, <laughs> expressing yeah. a different point of view and and uh, like i was speaking to roland modern recently um your uh, colleague in the senate and um and i'm sure he won't mind me saying this but he was saying uh you know i think he's in there 15 years now and he said the atmosphere is getting worse does the intolerance towards alternative points of view you might call 
more traditional points of view on some issues has got worse and worse and worse. In the end, they want to turn the whole of the Oireachtas into a giant safe space, which has PC views only expressed. And how the hell does that represent anything uh, resembling proper democratic debate? It's the opposite. It is the crushing of democratic debate and is extremely bad, insidious development. And above all, the media should be calling it out, but they're not. They're encouraging it. <laughs> Just on that, on that, David, um, and but we'll move on in a second because I think we 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 we've covered the general atmosphere quite well. But it's it's not just the Oireachtas because in recent weeks um, I've started sending Ben Scallon, my colleague here at Crypt, to cover government ministers and attend press conferences. And I mean, two things stood out. Number one, the difficult. I mean, we're members of the press council. Um, ben is a member of the NUJ. You know, we have every right to go to press conference. But the difficulty getting access. Um, the way government, the government press office throws up every hurdle it can to stop him getting in is 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 something to see. Um, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, poor Ben himself, uh, I'm a bit longer in the tooth than he is. And, and again, he won't mind me repeating this, but he was shocked by the quality of questioning at these events. He said that in the, in the he's been about to about 10 of these things now, and he says he can't remember one single question about a policy that the policy is never questioned. The only things that are questioned is the process. So what will you say to the prime minister next week about Brexit? You know, um, what's the timeline on getting this through the doll? There is never a question about whether what you're doing is a good policy. They're never ever challenged ministers by the Irish media on whether their policy makes sense. Um, and I, I, that's- Hi John, they're only questioned on delivery and cost. Yes. Um, so like the hospital, uh, the children's hospital overrun, um, uh, on costs, you know, that kind of thing. That's but, the only thing they question them on. But, they almost never on the general direction of policy. Well, that's if you're the government. I'm sure Sharon is probably sitting here open mouth because I, I bet, Sharon, you get questioned on policy all the time about yeah, you know, yeah. why, why you're uh, an extremist and so on. Um, yeah. it's, it, it, and, uh, obviously, you're not, but I mean, that's the general tenor, I suspect, of the questions you get. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's like the alternative view. If you haven't got the right the right uh, opinion, um, the the question everything and why you have that particular opinion that you have. But you know, you, you're you're correct. Uh, you know, the journalists today are not asking the right questions. They're not asking the tough questions of the ministers. They are letting them away. Uh, I don't know why they're letting them, letting them away without questioning them. I can't figure it out. I I do see Ben um, every now and again when he does get to ask ask a question, um, and he and he obviously has to share that himself on his own uh, media on on your on your media channels, but that's the only place it gets seen. Um, the general public don't get to see that um, through uh, RTE or through uh, TG4 or any of the the, the news outlets. Mm. So it's 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 such a shame that we have to rely on the internet to to get the messages out, to get the the, the questions out that you want you want these ministers to ask. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm looking at some of the reporters today. There's very very few of them. I I can't I can't think of an, of any really. That are asking the tough questions. There's some really good ones now, but then I, I could name them on on one hand, and the ones that are just literally just ticking the boxes, turning up every day, reporting what's happening. Uh, they're turning in just to news reporters. They're not turning into investigative journalism, and you we miss that. You you, you miss the Vincent Browns of of um, of journalism, and that's exactly what this country needs now. Yeah, I mean, Vincent, Vincent, by the way, I, I would sure would have polar opposite views on most issues to almost everybody on this podcast. Yeah. But, I, but I, I think all three of us would agree that 
there hasn't been a journalist in the country of his caliber since he sadly took the decision to retire. I mean, I, I, mm. I, I and, and he was open to alternative views. Uh, both David and I were regular guests on his show mm. for for years, and we never had an easy time. But he was he was interested in debate, and that matters. But I think I want to move on to talk Just about before you do, John. I mean, okay. I, I would say in respect to journalism, um, you know, you do have some excellent political correspondents, in my opinion, who know. Uh, you know, Leicester House very well. They know the constituency politics very well. They know the history of politics very well. And the problem tends to be where um, the ideology needs to be questioned. You know, the general ideological drift of the country needs to be questioned. The ideology underpinning all the policies needs to be questioned. That's where the big failure is. So just, um, just finally on this item, I mean, again, just the commercial surrogacy thing. The reason most countries don't allow commercial surrogacy is because it exploits low-income women. It's nearly always low-income women offer their wombs for hire because that's what's happening. And it amounts to the commodification of babies. And even the UN has said this. And over in this yeah. country, it's simply a cause for celebration. It has to be done. And there has to be no tough questions asked. That nobody's saying, well, hang on, why do most countries ban it? There must be some reason for it. Maybe it's a bad reason, but we should at least stop for a moment and consider it. But instead they say, well, David Quinn is opposed to it, Shan Kyogen is opposed to it, um, Roland Mullins is opposed to it, therefore it must be a good thing, and look at all those celebs in favour. And that's about the end of the analysis, and it's pathetic. David Reynolds, yeah. wrote, uh, David Reynolds wrote a piece for uh, Grip this week which raised a question which I wanted to put to both of you, actually, because I, I, I it, it stuck with me because I, I hadn't thought of it before. And I'm sure you have, Sharon, because you're, you're, you're interested in this area. But it strikes me as utterly appalling that it is easier, if you're childless, to go to sub-Saharan Africa or Ukraine or some other country um, where there are underprivileged people and pay somebody to carry a baby for you for nine months yeah. um, than it is to adopt a child from those countries. Um, I mean, so the, the person, David Rothkong, and uh, without, I think he's had some experience in this area himself in trying to adopt a child. And he said it was it was just torture. I mean, because all the child protection stuff comes in if you're adopting. You have to be vetted and vetted again and poked and prodded. And, and you have to have your friends write testimonials for you to say you're a fit person to, to have a child. You have to have your home inspected. Uh, and that's to adopt a child who is 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 without a family and is completely on their own. You have to jump through all these hoops. But if you want to go to Namibia and pay some poor woman three thousand euro for but the Ukraine rental of Ukraine is the usual country. Ukraine is the usual country. Uh, you, you, but but, 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 but it, it is Africa as well. Africa and Ukraine are the two pious ones. But anyway, whatever the country is, you want to go somewhere and pay some woman to carry a child for you. You don't have to go through. I mean, there's no question about whether you might be a fit parent. Um, you know, the, the child is you're just buying the child, and that's it. Um, it's, it's, it strikes me as as an abhorrent contradiction. And, and has that come up in the discussion of the, the legislation, Sharon? It did. Well, I mean, look at it, 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 look at the, the surrogacy laws that are coming in. I mean, I, I'm, I am vehemently opposed to um, commercial surrogacy. Um, you know, the contract, the, the contract, the object of which is a child. Uh, and the, the, the mostly with the, the greater power imbalance is between the commissioning parent and the surrogate. Um, they, they, you know, it, it begins with the rights and, and interests and obligations of the intending parents, and they are the strong party in this. Uh, they're they're the purchaser, uh, and then it comes to the child, and fa finally the surrogate mother. So, this, these laws 
are solely in the interest of the commissioning parent um, that, that will come. Uh, you know, it, I believe it, it violates the rights of the women and the children and particularly the birth mother. Uh, or the birth, the birth, birthing parent, as I would, I would call the birth mother, um, who will have absolutely no rights whatsoever. It, it is uh, a practice uh, that I believe we need to look look at very critically before it comes into legislation. I certainly hope that it will be critically uh, analysed when it gets to the dawn and when it comes back into the chamber, uh, chamber again into the Janet. Um, and we'll see how many opposing uh, voices will be uh, then. There may be more that might come out of the woodwork. I don't know. Um, when they look into, look into the practice itself and how it operates like, like in, in Ukraine. I, I mean, Ukraine is the capital, I, I suppose, our nearest capital that deals in, it's like a, a baby factory um, where people are just ordering ordering babies it just seems absolutely terrible uh, and I, I i i i would not agree with surrogacy whatsoever and I'm, I'm very surprised that while the war was going on that they they didn't sort of pause uh, the the commercial surrogacy arrangements with um ukraine but it that seems to uh, be ongoing at this moment in time so people are still able to to um have their children uh, abroad uh, as we speak even though the war is going on mm. um but it, it is it, it's a serious piece of legislation and uh, it's uh, i hope it's one that uh, people will reflect on and there's some people that that do not do do share the same views as I do, and I think we'll be. We, I think we might be pleasantly surprised when when the legislation comes before well, us. There might be people that might come come out saying uh, when they investigate it, because you know it's when you when you look at the numbers and you look at the the the, the legislation that's going to be in place, uh, and and it was it was interesting because there was um there was is, I'm not too sure was it um there was somebody in on the committee um from. Hold on a second. I can't remember his name. Well, you're looking at uh, Sharon. Uh, Nile Redmond. Yeah. Was it Nile Redmond? Um, and basically, um, he basically said that there'd be no protections in place uh, for the surrogate mother uh, and all the parties uh, to the surrogacy arrangement. So, you know, protecting protecting the the, the birth mother and. If we've learned anything uh, in the past from the mother and baby scandal and people not knowing who they were, where they came from, we have to learn here with with uh, this particular form of parenthood um, that you know the person that gives birth to the child has that name on the on the birth cert. That is the least we can ask for, um, and that uh, that person's name should rightfully go on 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 the on the on the birth cert. But there's some people that will oppose that. Uh, as part of this le legislation, there is. and uh, I would like to see that birth person, uh, be that birthing parent, being on on the birth cert from the get from the very beginning. Yeah, and there's and there's a colossal double standard at the heart of this law. At least, yeah, or the, at least you know what a parent is going to be in it. So we're not going to allow women in Ireland to enter into a commercial surrogacy contract because we recognise it has great potential for exploitation of low-income women. But we are going to allow it overseas. So. You know, women in Ireland, we must protect them. We don't have to protect women overseas. It's so bizarre. Where is the National Women's Council? Surely that's an issue for them to say something on. Because there's two standards being set, a lower one for, for women overseas and a higher one for women in Ireland. What's that all about? Where are the editorial writers? Where are the opinion columnists? 
where are the presenters calling people on to talk about this? Why haven't you been on programs talking about this, Sharon? I mean, again, it's incredible. And again, it's just illustrative of the fact that in Ireland, you know, we have the one great narrative. Um, and that's it. And yep. almost nothing else is allowed. You know, I, 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 I just always think about this in terms of natural law, because it's a, it's a, it's a phrase you're not allowed to use in Ireland anymore. It's a dirty phrase, natural law. But I'm always struck by the fact that I live in Limerick and are near Limerick, or live in Limerick, but live near Limerick. And on the motorway between Limerick and Shannon for most of the last two years has been this giant poster for veganism. And the message on it is that dairy takes babies from their mother. Um, and it's a hard-hitting poster because it's true. Um, and it is a problem with the dairy industry that often calves are taken from their mothers at a very young age. And the, the cows, I grew up near dairy farms, the cows roar all night in distress because there's a natural bond when you give birth, whether you are a, a cow or a whale or a dolphin, there's a natural bond created hormonally um, between the mother and the child that they have just born. Every instinct that mother has in nature is to protect and cherish the child. It is biological imperative. It is not something you can wave away with a contract. And to pass a law in my mind that says that you can compel somebody, you, somebody who signs a contract nine months earlier, not knowing necessarily how they'll feel when they've given birth, that says, by as a matter of law, we are going to take this child away from you. It is no longer yours. You will never see them again. Has to be up there with one of the most cruel propositions I have ever heard to be legislated. It's one yeah. thing if it's a if it's a voluntary arrangement where there's a sister becoming a surrogate for her other sister, she will at least be involved in the child's life. Whisk that child overseas to 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 and then never have any legal rights to as much as see it again or identify it again. Um it's the kind of thing, I mean, in, in basic contract law, from a legal point of view, if there are some things which aren't foreseeable when you sign a contract. And if Absolutely. you're somebody who's desperate and in a financial, a financial position of grave financial stress, and you sign a contract like that, not knowing or not being able to comprehend, never having gone through it before, the pain that you will bear, um, I don't think that kind of contract should ever be legal. Um, yeah. and, and, and I haven't heard that point or dis Raised. disabilities or children that are then born with disabilities and then the commissioning parent doesn't want that particular child. Just happened. You know, and th that these things do happen. Uh, unfortunately, there's 140 million orphans in this world. There are more ways to parenthood if people just stood back to look at what those ways are. Um, this is not, this is just something that I, I, I absolutely oppose, um, commercial surrogacy. And um, there's so many other different pathways. So for me, for me, it's a no. Well, well done in all your efforts, Sharon. You're one of the bravest people at Elster House, quite honestly. You just keep standing up there and uh, giving your point of view and uh, come hell or high water. And we need a hell of a lot more politicians like you. Thank you. We do. Anyway, I think we've we've gone through a lot this evening. Um, and as always, I say this evening, you might be listening to this in the morning or the afternoon, but we're recording here, as we always do, on a Thursday evening uh, on the 17th of November. Um, but I think... Uh, we will leave it there for this week. Uh, we're so grateful to Sharon to for taking out time out of her schedule. Uh, I, I know some people don't believe this, but I know politicians work bloody hard um, and their lives are very, very busy. Uh, so Sharon, thank you very much for, thank for joining you, us, joining thank us you, this David. evening. Thank you. Um, but that is all from us. Uh, as ever, if you like what you heard and you think this is worth listening to, send it on to somebody. Um, if you uh, really like what we're doing, maybe encourage people on your social media feed to listen to us. 
um the more the more listens we get the 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 bigger we will grow and the and you know the more the more interviews we can do and so on and so forth so uh we're very grateful as ever for your support and your attention uh, but for now uh that was the week that really was and we'll see you this time next week